Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Hello, everyone. Wow, I've never had a crowd response before. This is, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go on a high note. We'll see you guys later, thank you. Uh, my name is Brock, I'm the lead care and support pastor here and thank you guys for coming out uh, for Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's a chance for us to honor and celebrate our loved ones and celebrate those that have paid such a sacrifice uh, for our country. So thank you for coming out and celebrating with us. Uh, last week, John began a series about forgiveness. It's a two week series and uh, challenged us to think about some people in our life that maybe we need to extend forgiveness toward. And I realized there's all kinds of emotional energy with that. And so we wanted to talk a little bit today about how to practice forgiveness in our lives. But I don't know about you, but I'm always shocked by these radical stories of people forgiving other people. And I think about these extreme circumstances and they extend forgiveness. I'm like, wow, I don't, I don't know if I could do that or not. It's really amazing to me. And, and one of the periods of history uh, that I particularly enjoy studying is the World War II era. And uh, so much so that I've been kind of watching films and reading books for years. Uh, years ago, uh, we were at the Grapevine Mills Mall. Now, I may have told this story before, but it, it was worth repeating, I thought. Um, and my daughter sees this clearance area over here in the bookstore at the Grapevine Mills Mall. And she yells across the store, Dad, Dad, there's books about Hitler over here. I know you love Hitler. Hitler, Dad, Hitler, Hitler. Ugh. So we had to say, no, no, Daddy likes World War II history, not Hitler. So that was, that was really fun. Uh, and then I don't know if you've ever read, heard of uh, Viktor Frankl. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, Fr Frankl was a psychologist, and he was a Jewish psychologist, and he was put into Auschwitz, into a prison camp, and wrote about the stories, and, and subsequently developed his uh, psychological study field uh, based upon extending forgiveness and love and grace towards the people around him. Uh, if you've ever read the book Unbroken or seen the movie Unbroken about Louis Zamperini, uh, who was an American, uh, he was in a, in a plane and got shot down, went to a Jap Japanese concentration camp and was treated horribly. Um, later in life, he was just having all kinds of problems with all the things that had happened to him there. And he went to a crusade by a young startup preacher named Billy Graham. And there he gave his life to Christ and was able to go back and meet, meet some of his captors in Japan and, and kind of heal that relationship. That's pretty shocking stuff. And then there's Corey Ten Boom, uh, who was a Dutch Christian, and the Germans invaded their country, and she was helping hide the Jewish people in her home. And she, they were found out. There was a tip-off, and they were found out. And they were taken into concentration camps, and it was Corrie ten Boom, her sister, and her father. And during that time of imprisonment, her sister and her father both died. And so after the war, she had this incredible story that she told about hiding these people, about what she went through, about the forgiveness that she was experiencing. And so she would go around and lecture. And so one of her famous statements, she would always say that no matter what you've done in life, God has thrown our sins into the bottom of the sea. Meaning that our sins, no matter what we've done in life, this radical forgiveness that God extends to us has been thrown as deep, as far away as you can think about it. But at the end of one of her talks one day, she just used this statement, 
And at the end, she's greeting people, and a prison guard that she recognized but didn't recognize her from the camp that she was in came up to her. And so she writes this. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. The memories came flooding back with a rush. The huge room that we were in with the overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sisters in my mind's eye. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, her ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin that she had. Betsy, her sister's name, how thin you were. I remember the leather crop swinging from his belt. Now he was in front of me, hand out to shake mine, and he said, that was a fine message, Fraulein. How good is it to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. He was standing there in front of this woman who the most uh, amazing atrocities were committed in front of her, hand extended, asking her to affirm his forgiveness. It was as he went on to tell her that he'd given his life to Christ and he felt horrible about some of the things that he'd done. And she continues to write, that hand still extended. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into her joined hands, and this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I'm in awe. I don't think that would have been my story. And yet, stories like this, I know that's an extreme example, but stories like this seem to be the kind of stories that we are called to as people that have experienced amazing forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I'm called, you were called, all of us are called to live in this amazing world and practice forgiveness and grace. And that's the Christian way. And yet I think about my own life and I think about going back to my childhood and think about either real or perceived, whatever it was, the people that have hurt me and I kind of want those people to pay a little bit for what they did. And the trauma and the things that they started, the, the patterns in my life, I want those people to understand what, what they did to me. I think about uh, coaches and teachers and different people uh, that hurt me and I want them to understand the depths of what they've done. I've loved being a father and my kids are all grown up now, uh, but I think back to, um, I mean, obviously my kids were pretty much the stars of everything they did academically and in school and sports. And I think about the playing time they didn't get or the opportunities that weren't there or the, the coaches or the teachers that maybe said something to that I didn't think was fair and I kind of want them to know about what they've done. One of the beautiful things about being at Hope for, I've been here for over 13 years now, which is crazy, but we've had a lot of conversations and a lot of opportunities to sit down together, and I know that you also experience hurt and pain from uh, marriages that maybe didn't work out, people that have hurt you, uh, exes that, that treat you or maybe your children in ways that you don't appreciate at all. And there's so much emotional, negative emotional energy there as we think about that hurt and that pain. So yet we're called to 
when the hand is extended to us to also walk in forgiveness. So we want to talk today a little bit about how in the world can we get closer to living that out as Jesus has called us to. So we're going to do a few things. Um, I thought maybe the Bible might be a good spot to look. I don't know if that is that an okay idea. We'll look at the Bible a little bit. I'll share a few, with you a few lessons I've learned along the way. Still got a long ways to go. And I also wanted to pay tribute to uh, a man today named Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller is one of my favorite authors um, and uh, wrote this book called Forgive, which I'll base some of these things out of today. And Timothy Keller uh, has been battling cancer for a long time, just a couple weeks ago, uh, lost his battle uh, to cancer and passed away. So this is my little tribute to uh, a mentor that, that I never met that really meant a lot to me. In the Bible, uh, forgiveness is a major part of the story. If you were to read the New Testament, you wouldn't turn many pages without hearing stories about Jesus teaching about forgiveness, uh, Jesus modeling forgiveness, Jesus granting forgiveness. And the disciples must have been seeing all this and thinking, this is a little different, <laughs> this forgiveness that Jesus is all about. This seems a little extreme. And so they probably got together and had this conversation and therefore leads to our passage that we're going to look at today where they came to Jesus. Now, when we planned this series out, this forgiveness two-week series, John had week one and I was going to do week two, and we kind of had all our scriptures lined up and everything like that, so I was preparing. And you'll never guess which scripture John alluded to last week, this passage that was supposed to be mine. So today, I'm practicing forgiveness to John McKenzie here on this stage. <laughs> all right, let's look at this passage together. Matthew 18, 21 says this. Then Peter, the head of the disciples kind of guy, came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, a little context here in Jewish tradition, uh, that if you were a really forgiving person, uh, you should extend grace and forgiveness three times. Uh, and after the, if they do something to you the fourth time, then that's a whole different story. And so the disciples must have been seeing Jesus and seeing all these incredible examples of forgiveness and they thought they were going to be pretty cool, come to Jesus and say, all right, Jesus, not about three, but what about seven? He's kind of a holy number. It's more than three. And they were probably feeling pretty good about themselves. And then Jesus responded. And I wonder what Peter's response was like. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for that response. In Matthew 18, 22, Jesus says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Jesus uh, takes forgiveness even to a different level than three or seven and it's not a number that we multiply, but Jesus is saying that we should forgive and it's an unlimited, continual kind of forgiveness. A uh, little cheesy story here for you. Uh, I've been a lifelong Seattle Seahawks fan. Man, I, I expected just boos. I didn't expect any woos. So that's pretty exciting. Things are going much better than I anticipated. A clap at the beginning of now this. Um, and... Uh, their quarterback for years was Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson is probably the most positive mental thinker I've ever heard of or seen in my life. Uh, and he's now traded to a team that I will not mention. Um, and so, but he did this thing a few years ago. And I know Russell Wilson is cheesy. I'm so sorry about that. But he did this thing where he says, hey, don't ever let your mind limit what you do in life. Uh, you have to have unlimited thinking. If someone tries to limit you and say that you're too short to play quarterback or whatever it would be, you have to think, Unlimited. So, but Russell Wilson is cheesy, so he would say, you have to be unlimited, is how he would say it throughout his whole video. And then at the end, he said, you know, I'm going to be so unlimited in my thinking that I'm going to start calling myself Mr. Unlimited. 
And so that was Russell Wilson, and I'm really embarrassed I just told that story because I thought there'd be laughter there. It was just stares of like, this guy's strange on the stage. But so now Russell Wilson has ruined this passage for me when I think about uh, forgiveness because he's really saying to us, hey, um, Jesus, when Peter came and said, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus is really looking at Peter and saying, it's unlimited is how often you should forgive. So Jesus then says, hey, I'm going to tell you a story to really demonstrate this unlimited perspective. Let's look at Matthew 18, 23 through 27. We'll continue on. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. So a large chunk of change is owed here. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Again, here's this astronomical, unthinkable amount of money. And this guy, financial stress is real. Can you imagine? He knows that he owes millions of dollars, and he's feeling really guilty about that, and he doesn't know how he's ever going to pay it back. And he comes to this king, and the king says, hey, you got to pay it back. But since you can't, I'm also going to throw you in prison, and I'm going to take your family away from you as well until this debt can be paid. And so now all of a sudden, here's this guy thinking, uh-oh, financially, I'm, I'm an idiot. <clears throat> I've lost my family. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's the overwhelming emotion. Think I've ruined my entire life. It's all over. And then the king says to him, all right, after the guy begged for mercy, okay, I'm going to let that go. I mean, can you imagine the emotion that this man must have felt at that moment? Like, uh, the, the shock at first, like, what? <laughs> this is a, an unthinkable amount, and my family, and all this stuff, and then, like, really? And it starts to set in, and, like, and this incredible gratitude, then, and, like, realizing that this is coming true, had to be going on in this guy's mind. I know that today we're talking about practicing forgiveness, but I don't think we can understand how to practice forgiveness as Christian people, as followers of Jesus, until we, under, until we understand this point. Timothy Keller writes, you will never be able to fully forgive others for their sins against you unless you first experience God's forgiveness of your sins against him. And so until we experience that forgiveness, it's difficult to extend forgiveness. Let's go back to Corey Tin Boom's quote about your sins and my sins. Where are they? She says, God has thrown our sins in the bottom of the sea. They're gone. They can't be remembered. And then she would often in her speeches say that he also has placed a sign near that area of that body of water, and it says, no fishing. Imagine all of your sins today, and this would be humiliating, on this screen behind me. All the unflattering thoughts, the deepest secrets, the things that we've done, the things that we've thought, the things that we've not done, and that's all there for the world to see. That would be a pretty tough moment. It'd be embarrassing, humiliating, and there's no way we could really pay for all the hurt that we've caused other people. And imagine at that moment, then, that Jesus just simply comes up and says, forget all that. They're forgiven. That's what he's done. 
As Christians, we haven't done anything to earn that. We have done nothing to, we just say, here's our sins on a screen. We're in big trouble. And Jesus says, no, nah, I'll take care of it. In Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, it says, where is another God like you? Who pardons the guilt of the remnant, God's chosen people, overlooking the sins of his special or chosen people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. There's this idea conveyed in the Hebrew language here, this word mercy. It's kind of like a mother's womb, where in that mother's womb, that child has done nothing, just sits there, kicks a little bit maybe, I guess, once in a while, and yet that mother feels compassion and love and grace and kindness and will do anything for that child because that love is so unconditional. And so when the Bible speaks about God's love toward you, it's the same idea. There's an amazing, intense love towards you. It's unconditional. You have to do nothing to earn it. You just simply say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And all the sins are wiped away. This is how God views you. Jesus, I can imagine being on the cross, going through the intense pain and suffering that he was going through, and if we were there, he'd look right into our eyes, knowing the things that we would do, knowing how stupid we would be, knowing those that we would hurt, and with the greatest compassion and the greatest act of love in the history of the world, just simply looks and says, you're forgiven. That's the story of Christianity. That's the message that you and I walked into when we said, let's go to church, that we're people that there's nothing we can do to earn it. It's just given to us freely because God loves you deeply. You've been part of the great exchange where you take your sins and all your stuff and you give them to Jesus and he says, I'll take those. Here's grace and forgiveness, the greatest, greatest exchange in the history of the world. And I know this is so easy to talk about, but it's so difficult to comprehend because I, I just finished reading uh, Timothy Keller's book, Forgive. I'm studying different passages that John stole from me for this message. And I'm so excited about this. And so I decided to do you know, something, some really in-depth research about forgiveness. So I decided to watch Ted Lasso. Do we have any Ted Lasso fans in here, the show Ted Lasso? So I don't think this is a spoiler alert. It's from the latest episode. So if it is, uh, it came out on Wednesday. So come on, get with it here. Um, but there's the, the assistant coach, the guy with the beard, beard, I think they call him. He's telling a story about how he first uh, met Ted Lasso. And then when they got out of college, um, the bearded guy got in trouble and went to prison. And he, when he got out, he had no place to go. So he went to Ted Lasso's house and he stayed with him. And while he was there, he stole Ted's car <laughs> and he got caught right away. And so they called Ted and said, hey, we got your car, come down to the police station. And he sees Beard there and he says, oh, he didn't steal the car. I let him borrow it. And in my mind, I'm like, well, idiot. That guy needs to pay. He's not trustworthy. He's not, so, so the mind can't even comprehend this kind of amazing love and grace that God gives for, gives for us, this unlimited grace over and over and over and over again. 
So I think we have to let that sink in for a moment. How incredibly loved, how incredibly forgiven, how incredibly grace-filled you are. As we let that sink that Jesus did in this story, I believe that now Jesus says, now I'd like for you to go and do the same thing. He gives us an instructive pattern. I think Jesus came to this earth because we were kind of messing up the law, and he said, I'm gonna come and live it and show these people how it's supposed to be done. I had a professor when I was in school uh, studying theology that uh, Dr. Kenneth Mayton, and I can't believe, my wife and I were just talking last night, like I can't believe we're, we're quoting Dr. Mayton all these years later, because um, obviously I just graduated from grad school just a couple years ago, you can tell by my age. But Dr. Mayton used to do this cheesy thing, um, and he used to say, here's how the pattern of the New Testament works. He says, Jesus did it, he modeled it. Jesus did it and the disciples watched him do it. Then Jesus would watch the disciples do it for a little bit, and the disciples then were going to do the same thing. And so when it comes to the realm of forgiveness, Jesus did it, and now he's asking, asking us to watch him and asking us to go and practice the same thing. So let's read the story some more as Jesus continues to teach us about practicing forgiveness. Matthew 18, 28 through 34. So here's this guy that was just forgiven all this stuff, and it says, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Just been forgiven millions here. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Don't we read the story and think, this guy is so stupid. Do we not read the story and think that? He's just been forgiven millions, and yet he's going out and grabbing someone by the throat and demanding back a smaller amount. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded, echoing the words that he had just spoken to the king. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. So it seems like from the story that Jesus is teaching us that to be a servant of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, is to live in a world of perpetual, unlimited forgiveness. In this passage, there's a convicting statement that he says, just as I had mercy on you. In the same way we experience forgiveness, we are now asked to extend forgiveness. So as I read this story, I think that uh, I kind of relate with this guy, that I'm this guy, I've been forgiven this tremendous doubt, and yet I'm careful about giving forgiveness to other people. They have to do the right things, the right circumstances, or apologize just right to get forgiveness. And yet, Jesus is saying, here's the pattern. So I'd like for us to, to get on the same page, because sometimes we can have different ideas of what forgiveness is and isn't. So just a quick definition of forgiveness. Um, so in Reengage, we have a section about forgiveness, because um, I don't know about you guys, but things can happen in marriage where we need to forgive each other. Um, and so this is the definition that I like the most, because it was the one that really hit home to me in my life. It says this. At its most basic level, forgiveness is the decision to pardon an offense and give up the right to be repaid. So early on in our marriage, 
uh, something would go wrong, and I would uh, go up to Alicia and I would say, I'm sorry for the part I played. And she would often say, thank you. <laughs> and you, <laughs> are you going to own your part now in this whole thing? And I think, realized what I was doing was I was, again, we all have our own part to play, but I was asking her to acknowledge the part that she played and pay for what she'd done as I perceived it. But I realized it's not my job to control other people. I can't do that. But it's my job to respond in a way that says, I forgive you and do my part. If she owns up to that, that's great. If not, then nothing I can do about it, but I still have to extend forgiveness toward her and bring some peace to those negative emotions that surrounded our marriage and moving toward peace in my inner being to know that I'd not to let that emotion control me. I think forgiveness, as I've discovered, is also a journey. Uh, as I've gotten older and gone through different things and learned things and done some work on myself, I realize that forgiveness is a process. It's not something that just happens like that. But I've got to learn to deal with my hurt and my pain and go in this process of finding healing. And I think I've also realized that forgiveness is ultimately worship. That I'm honoring God because of what he's done for me. Amen. You know, because it's so easy to, you know, to maybe come and, and, and sing songs and do different things like that. But really, worship, when it comes down to a really difficult level, is when it comes to all this negative stuff. And we still have to honor God in the midst of that. So I think forgiveness is also worship. It's a chance for us to honor God. So forgiveness is giving up the right to be repaid, but I'm just going to do my part. Forgiveness is a process, and forgiveness is worship. And I think we also sometimes get some bad ideas of what forgiveness is. And so I have a forgiveness is not list as well. Forgiveness, forgiveness is not excusing behavior or condoning bad behavior. We're not saying, oh, you can do that again. Just go ahead and just wound me again. And I'm not, or you're doing something that's tough. Just go ahead and keep doing that. It's not that. Forgiveness is not just immediate trust where we can be heard again. Forgiveness is that process. And the one thing that's weird is forgiveness is not necessarily even about the other person. It can hold us captive. So for years, I've not been much of a pet person at home. But for some reason, the last few years, I have become a pet person out of constant pressure from my family. And so we thought we'd have one dog. Now we have two dogs. And so the one dog the other day, um, he's a short-haired dog, and so he got an infection in his foot, and his foot started to swell up a little bit, and he was in obvious pain, and, and he was milking it, he was walking around, had to be carried everywhere, poor baby, his foot hurt. And so when the other dog would walk by the infected foot dog, he would snarl, he would growl, he's like, don't even come, I'm not playing right now, there's no tug of war going on right now, he would just get so mean to the other dog. And one's an alpha, and one's probably a delta. <laughs> and so that didn't go over very well. But I was thinking about, looking at that, when we have unforgiveness in our heart and all this pain, it's so difficult because we, we, we don't want to get hurt again. And so it's difficult when others come around us from time to time. We either want to go in this fight or flight mode or freeze or whatever we might do because we just don't want that pain to be touched again. And so forgiveness, not having forgiveness, can ultimately limit the way we live life and live out the kingdom of God toward others. So the question then, how do I begin to go in this process of forgiveness and live like Jesus has asked me to live, live like Jesus has extended to me, 
live like Corey Ten Boom has showed us to live. So one of the things that I think, and, and I know we mention this around here all the time, and I'm so sorry about that, but one of the ideas that we have to keep in mind is we have to draw the circle around ourselves and realize I'm the only person that I have power over. I can't control other people. Until I have some wholeness and some health in me, I'm going to be that snarling dog when other people come around me. So the first thing I have to do is I have to understand God's forgiveness towards me. So an encouragement, so trying different things seems to be the path, but maybe you become a student of the scripture again and looking out and, and, and finding passages about forgiveness and going on this journey of saying, God, I need some healing in this area for those that have really, really deeply hurt me. Maybe we need to pick up a book about forgiveness and say, I'm going on this process. Maybe Timothy Keller's book, Forgive. Maybe reading The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom or watching one of these movies about forgiveness or something like that, just kind of letting this say, Jesus, I need some work in this area. Another thing that we probably need to do more often, that I need to do more often, is spiritual reminders about God's forgiveness toward us and living in that world where we realize we're so forgiven. We probably need to take communion often and remember that when we take communion, it's not just some uh, wafer and a little juice, but it's a reminder that your sins are at the bottom of the sea and there's no fishing there. They are forgiven. God has wiped away all of your sin. Maybe uh, one of the things we do here is we really celebrate when people are baptized, remembering that, hey, their sins are being wiped away. As a reminder, when I see baptism, it's a reminder to me that my sins are wiped away. I've even heard of some people carrying around a cross in their pocket or wearing a cross necklace when they need to really think about forgiveness, just holding that reminder that God has forgiven them of their sins. And maybe we just need to even think about, hey, is it a possibility for me to begin to pray and ask God to heal me, pray for some of these people? The second thing I think we have to do outside of the spiritual reminders is to deal with our inner world. So for my journey in particular, um, going to counseling and talking to someone and going through my trauma timeline was huge for me to even think about some people that have hurt me and begin to understand that and bring healing and ask God to walk into those situations with me. Uh, shameless plug, uh, I do a podcast called the Mindful Marriage Podcast. In season four, um, I walk through with Tara Wiedemeyer, a professional therapist, kind of what it looks like to deal with trauma in her life. And so maybe you could listen to that and see like, oh, that's kind of what that process looks like if that seems intimidating. In regeneration, in step four, we do inventory, where we kind of look at the harms to me, the harms by me, resentments that I have, and that was a huge process in finding healing towards those that have hurt me. So maybe that might be something to look at. A third thing is to really not to continue to do this journey alone, but to find community. Hearing stories to be inspired by other people, realizing we're not alone, realizing we're not meant to do this journey by ourselves. Another thing we might need to do is, hey, as I'm working on forgiveness, I need to model forgiveness. I need to be the initiator for those in my life and offer them forgiveness. And finally, uh, realize it's a process. It may take years, it may take months, but we're invited to embark on this journey of healing that has been extended toward us. It's all over scripture, like I said at the beginning, this idea of forgiveness. And now it's time for us to continue to go on embracing this journey for ourselves and for others. So I want to read to you one more Timothy Keller quote, and I'll, I'll finish up. He says this, Jesus is the sacrifice to end all other atoning sacrifices. Jesus, then, is the place you get your reconciliation to God, to others, and eventually all things in creation. 
Don't let yourself be twisted. Take in what Jesus Christ has done. Put your story about what people have done to you into the big story of what he did for you. And you'll have all the power you need to grant forgiveness. We put ourselves in the story and realize we're called to practice forgiveness. So I thought it'd be appropriate uh, for us to do a spiritual reminder as we finish today. So I thought it'd be cool for us to take communion together. So if you have that, uh, go ahead and grab that. If you didn't get communion on your way in, uh, whether you're here at one of our campuses, raise your hand and we'll get communion for you. So the first thing we're gonna do uh, before we actually take the elements together is I want us to just take a moment of silent reflection and meditation about reminding ourselves, putting ourselves in that story of what Jesus has done for us and how we're called to extend that. And so we're gonna put a portion of Psalm 51 up on the screen. And before we take communion, I'd like for you just to read this and let this sink in for just a moment. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples, those that he modeled forgiveness, those that he would extend forgiveness. And in one dramatic time, a reminder, he sat them down and said, here's what my sacrifice looks like. He said, my body's gonna be broken for you. My blood's gonna be poured out so your sins are wiped away. And I want you to have this reminder that that has taken place. This is my body, he, Jesus said. It was broken for you. Take and eat. Let's take the bread together. And then he took the cup. He said, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are now thrown into the bottom of the sea. Let's take together. And the last thing I'd like for us to do uh, today for communion, if you're able, if it's not too emotionally tough, I'd like for you to think about some people in your life that have hurt you, um, that we need to begin this journey, this process of forgiveness toward. And if you're able, I'd like for you to say a prayer for them. And the prayer is just simply this, God have mercy on them. May they experience your love like a mother's womb and may they experience your forgiveness, and may they experience your healing. Let's take a few moments and just pray for those folks that we need to extend some forgiveness toward.
Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.